This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, it's the big show. That's right. It's the big show. Here's the deal. Do you do this? I do this all the time. When I get something in my feeble little brain, when I get something in this head, I can't stop it. And I should have, but I'm not very good at this job just yet, but I should have put in here a side-by-side picture of me and the great Paul Wright, a.k.a. The Big Show. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Wright. The godfather of this great, what do you call this, TV show, streaming show, internet show? Hell, I don't know. Yeah, it's the big show. We're on one today. Welcome. Hope everybody is having a splendid day. Not kind of a good day. I'm talking about the kind of day that changes lives. I'm headed to Boston after the show, well, after my other show. I'm going to go watch some softball. Uh, whatever you're doing today, I hope it's good. It's a nice day here in Indianapolis. It's going to be a nice day all across the country. Got a lot of stuff. All right. All right, Dylan, Ryan, let's bring it up. The Elon Musk Twitter. Oh, the day. Here's what the great man had to say. Next, I'm bringing Coca-Cola. I'm buying Coca-Cola to put the cocaine back in. What do you think Coca-Cola meant? Like, if you don't know the reference, what do you think Coca-Cola? There used to be cocaine in Coca-Cola. That's what made it so popular. Look, I've never really done cocaine. Not never really. I never have done cocaine. I'm not a big drugs guy. Uh, more into, you know, a couple beers, hang out, never been a weed guy. Uh, maybe I will be in my older age, aches and pains. But that's what used to be, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> in Coca-Cola. It was that. Elon Musk, every day, I think we should have an Elon Musk tweet of the day because Elon Musk, to me, is the man. And he's not the man because, I don't know, he bought Twitter. Hell, if you got $44 billion to spend on something, you know, I guess if it's going to be a business, Twitter's as good as any. But he's the man because he's kind of making fun of all that's going on around him. Like, my favorite poem is If by Rudyard Kipling. It might be the only poem that I even know a little bit. As you can tell by my head, you don't even have to look any deeper. As you can tell by my head, I'm not a, you know, poetry and arts don't really get it done for me. I like it. I look at it. I fake it. But if, if you can remain calm when all, if you can keep your head when all those around you are losing theirs, then you'll be a man, my son, that type of thing. And that's what Elon Musk is doing. And I love it. I do. I think it's great. I got a lot to get to today. Jason Hammer is going to join us, and we're going to discuss everything, including, and I would love your answer to this. 
Who is your fictional football player that you would draft? Who would you draft? Fictional football player. I like that. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of different people involved. Uh, Allison Williams, A-Dub, is going to join us coming up uh, around 10.30. She's going to, or 10 o'clock, excuse me. We're going to talk about Lusk, or Musk. We're going to talk about the draft. We're going to talk about should we pay off student loans. We got the Dammy Awards and a good friend of mine who I'm very excited for, named St- Sage Steele, uh, gets a Dammy Award, don't at me, by the way, uh, award, because she's suing ESPN, and I think it's absolutely off the chain. Yo. Uh, we got that going on. I'll have some fades. Uh, I got my brother calling me. He's not happy with me. Uh, he went down to the Bahamas. He's doing some business with Rick Fox. He's looking for a bet last night. I told him, take Golden State over. They're playing a smaller lineup. They're going to get after it. Well, guess what? That didn't happen, but let's go to a mock draft. Look, if I'm going to sit around and talk to draft guys for a week, then I want to have my own damn at least first five mock drafts. Everybody's got a mock draft. I listen. I watch. I learn. I couldn't have told you who some of these guys are two weeks ago, and I wouldn't have cared. Look, I watched Georgia's defense, and you know what I saw? Man, I don't know who the hell you are, but you're really good. I know who you are, Jordan Davis, because you're really good. And you're big and you're fun. See, guys my age remember William the Refrigerator Perry. And the fridge would be little in today's world. These dudes are massive. But I digress, ladies and gentlemen. So let's do this. Uh, Let's talk about who's going to be drafted first and why. All right. I got to get this out of the way. (laughs) I had an NFL guy, kind of a high up NFL guy, tell me this. Look, Trayvon Walker may turn out to be Richard Dent, Aaron Donald, the Purple People Eaters, the Fearsome Force, and all rolled up into one. He's really good. But that ain't why he's going number one in the draft books. And there's two separate things here with Trayvon Walker. Let me go first in the draft books. He went from basically not being involved in being the first pick to the heavy favorite. And when I mean heavy favorite, he was the only guy that you had to pay juice on. Gambling works like this. If you're the heavy favorite, you're minus something. So the heavy favorite, a little favorite might be minus 110. That means you got to pay $110 to get back $100. You would get the $110 back. So I bet $110. Next thing you know, I get back $210, which means what have I won? I've won $100. All right. That's the favorite. The underdogs are plus money. Now, I know a lot of you know this, but every time I talk gambling, people say, well, can you explain that to me a little bit? So I feel like explaining this to you a little bit, all right? But this is how that works. So what do you do, all right? The underdog is plus 110, let's just say. So you bet $100 to get 110 back. Here's how dramatic this is on the gambling sites for this NFL draft. Trayvon Walker is the heaviest of favorites, minus 450. 50. The next guy, Aiden Hutchinson, 
is plus 400. All right, now you say to me, well, Vegas doesn't know anything can happen in the draft. Really? Really? You're going to go there? Vegas doesn't know, and anything can happen in the draft. Let me ask you a question. This is an old line that everybody uses. Are those casinos getting smaller? Are sports books going away other than being devoured by other sports books, even though we live in an economy that is shrinking and people don't have as much disposable income? Vegas doesn't know. Look, I don't know whether Trayvon Wilt Walker is the best player ever. I don't even know if he was the best player on his own defense. His numbers are fine. But when Vegas puts it out like that, I got to tell you, you can book it, Dano. Trayvon Walker will be the first pick. And if you sit there and you go, well, he wouldn't be my first pick. He only had six sacks last year, two and a half the year before. I'm not picking him. Good for you. I'm just telling you who teams are picking. It means that somebody in the world of Las Vegas found out information from somebody that they 100,000 million trust because Trayvon Walker went from nowhere to a heavy. He's not just 110. He's not minus 110. He is minus four and a half to one. You're going to have to bet $450 to win $100, which, you know, if you're playing the stock market, that's still not bad. That's under 20%, but it's still not bad. That's about 20%. A little better than 20%. One to five would be 20. Okay, okay. All right. 100 on 50 would be 20%. All right. I can't add. I did not take it. Oh, I took it, but I damn near flunked finite math at Indiana. So don't at me, people. That's number one. Now, the player on the field apparently went to the combine and just wowed everybody. And then I was reading what David Shaw, the head coach at Stanford, who is one of the analysts uh, for this draft, he said, look, don't think this guy's just a workout warrior because he's not. Uh, Don't think this guy's just a guy that went to the combine and David Pollock did because he's not. Uh, His film, it pops. He took on double teams. He allowed the linebackers from Georgia to go ahead, get in there, and get things done. So don't even think about that. And when you combine the two, hey, look, you probably do – Uh, have the number one pick in the draft, all right? Makes sense to me. All right, the number two pick in the draft. Now, I heard this yesterday, and and just stop this, okay? Just stop saying this. Aiden Hutchinson is going to go to Detroit, all right? But Aiden Hutchinson is not going to go to Detroit because they think they need to sell tickets to Lions game and Aiden Hutchinson is going to do that. Will you please just stop with that? S- seriously. Will you just stop with that? You know, this is professional sports. Professional sports, nobody comes out to go see the defensive end who's a rookie just because he played <clears throat> two minutes away or 40 minutes away in Ann Arbor. Stop with that, okay? That needs to be eliminated. I heard it yesterday on a national show. Well, you know, they're kind of under pressure. You know, the Detroit Lions are right here. Uh, It's obviously 40, 45 minutes from Ann Arbor. You know, you get some fans, you get some season tickets with it, and you also get a really good player, a guy that really deserves to go number two. Look, I go number two on that first part. I'm going to go into my bathroom and go number two on that first 
part of that segment. There aren't five people outside the Hutchinson family that are going to say, hey, you know what? They got Aiden Hutchinson. We're going to buy season tickets. No. 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 Well, let me put you this way. Some family might go that are Michigan fans that are going to be like, hey, I want to see, you know, Aiden's on the team. You guys interested in going? Possibly. Okay? Possibly. But there is nobody, nobody going, hey, look, uh, I really want season tickets here because of Aiden Hutchinson played at Michigan. Ain't happening. It doesn't happen. Pacers here had the most popular high school player in the history of the world, Damon Bailey, on their roster. for It didn't work. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter. So stop with that. Here's why you draft Aiden Hutchinson. Number one, you want to win. So who's the best player available? Aiden Hutchinson. It's literally that simple. And if you think that, then you draft him. And the majority of people think that Aiden Hutchinson may, may be the best player, but they think for sure he's an impact player. Something can always happen. I get it. But they really look at Aiden Hutchinson and say there are no flaws. Now, look, is he going to be the great? Is he going to be Richard Dent? Richard Dent, by the way, if you don't know who Richard Dent is, he's the standard by all guys my age that are from Chicago use on an edge rusher. I know Aiden Hutchinson's white, so we have to put him up with the poses. I understand that. And that would be good. That's great for Aiden Hutchinson. I totally get that. But if you're going to be a pass rusher and you're going to be my age and you're going to be from northwest Indiana or the Chicagoland area, Richard Dent is the holy grail. Richard Dent, as we say in Serbia, is the gazda. He the man. So I understand you're supposed to do white on white. I understand Hutchinson's supposed to be compared to the Bozes, but I ain't doing it. Richard Dent. I don't know if Aiden Hutchinson is Richard Dent. I ain't sure. Who the hell knows? But I do know this. Every report and productivity leads to Aiden Hutchinson being a damn good draft choice. Damn good. So he's going second. And he's not going – and if they say it tonight on TV, whichever draft covers you're watching, spit at your TV, throw a soft brick at it, and change the damn channel if they say, well, you know, he, he, they can say local favorite, but he's not. They can say held Michigan's team together when they were going through crisis, and he did. But don't let me hear how he's going to increase a fan base. He will if they win and he plays great. God, that drives me bat blank crazy. It just does. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Third, I don't even know how to say the guy's name. And this is even disrespectful of me because I didn't look it up before the show. But his name is Ikim Iki Ikwunu. Now, here's why I got him going third. He's going to go to Houston. He's an offensive tackle. Here's why I got him going third. You ready? Houston stinks. They got their quarterback, Davis Mills, they think. They're not sure. They're kind of married to a guy that, eh. But this guy, I've been doing a little research here. Bear with me on this one, all right? Most left tackles are finesse guys. Most left tackles, you know, they got to move their feet. They got their hand, you know what I mean? This dude got a lot of nasty in him. And frankly, when you have a right tackle, who usually is a little nastier, left tackle a little more athletic, like I saw the Colts left tackle, Anthony Costanzo, three or four times in the supermarket, you would not think he was a football 
lineman. You would have thought he was, when you just looked at him, an undersized forward in basketball, six foot six, long, athletic, big. You know, he's not small, don't get me wrong, but neither are, neither are power forwards in the NBA. He didn't look like what you think. This guy here, he got some nasty to him. So you can run the ball on the left side. Most running games uh, are designed to go right just naturally. They're right-handed. Why? Because usually the right tackle has a little bit more nasty and push. This kid here out of North Carolina State, he got some nasty to him, and I like him. I wish the Colts would move up and get that kid, or he would fall. The Colts move up middle of the first round and get that kid. I like a little nasty. I like my coffee a little nasty in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, my wife put a little cream and sugar in it, but I like it high octane. I like drinking sludge. I like it a little nasty. I do. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> my fourth pick, I don't like my fourth pick, but I'm making it my fourth pick. I think he's a good player. He's a kid named Ahmad Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. He's a corner. He's going to the Jets. It feels like the Jets and corner go together because of Revis Island. So you're going to say to me, Dan, why don't you like Sauce? Again, a little disrespectful of me. But here's the common vernacular of Sauce, at least in basketball. Man, he can't go play there. He's got too much sauce for that school. That means he got a lot of this. He got a lot of that. You know what I'm saying? Sauce. Sauce to me in basketball means style over substance. That's what sauce is in hoops, okay? Well, if your nickname is Sauce and you look at an old fart like me, you go, huh, is this guy more style over substance, or is this guy, wait a second, hip quote here, all about that action, boss? I don't know. He's pretty good. Measurables off the charts. Play great. But then Saucy said something that you just don't need to say. Hey, there's no way I'm a bust, is what Sauce said. Hey, Dan. Dan, what do you want him to say? I don't know. Not sure. I'm not positive. I don't know. Maybe I want him to just shut up, get drafted, be a rookie, and play. I have this theory. Are you ready? So my theory is this, and it's never wrong. Guys come to a school like Indiana, whatever. Let me, I'll use a specific kid, a guy named Tamar Bates. Scoop is his name. Tamar Bates was a top 30 recruit. He goes to Indiana last year. There's a video put out about how he kind of introduces himself to his teammates while they're working in the weight room. And you'd have thought old Scoop was a three-time All-American and everybody cared about him, the way he was walking around. And I said on my other show, old Scoop's in for a rude awakening. Old Scoop's ready to get scupped. I don't even know what that means. But I said it, and I meant it, and I don't forget it. But old Scoop, Acted like he owned the joint. I know that's what you're supposed to do. I know that's all insecurity. Don't get me wrong, but don't be insecure. Just show up and go to work. I don't know why you wouldn't. 
don't know why you wouldn't. I don't know why you wouldn't just show up and go to work. But Saucy doing some talking is not the level or is not the thing that I want. I don't want to hear from anybody until they do some stuff. The great Carl Banks said it. Carl Banks was great, by the way. He was opposite of Lawrence Taylor. And he just followed me on Twitter, which I'm very excited about because I was a big fan of Carl Banks. We were roughly the same uh, years. He was at Michigan State. I was at Indiana. But the truth of the matter is uh, these guys don't necessarily want that smoke. So don't bring the smoke to you until you do something. And he also said, how about we we quit propping these guys up before they do something? I got to tell you. That makes total sense to me. It's the Tracy McGrady rule. Tracy McGrady, I blame him. He started all this stuff. He did. Every As soon as Tracy McGrady came out of Zion Prep in Durham, North Carolina, everybody platitudes, platitudes, endorsements. Tracy McGrady, he hit, hey, he's a real talented guy. James Harden is the new Tracy McGrady. Wilts when it really matters, really matters. Don't give these guys props until they do something. Carl Banks, you are the man. Anyway, Carl Banks is a good basketball player, too. That's all I'm saying. All right, this is interesting to me. We had yesterday, who was I talking? I, I can't even remember who I'm talking. I'm doing a bunch of shows. But one thing I asked was, what does zipping up or zipping down the draft boards mean? Um, nobody knows. You know, there's real momentum for this guy to fall. What the hell does that mean? Momentum, because some clown uh, wrote it, because some clown said it, this clown said it, all of a sudden there's momentum? Here's the latest, you ready? NFL rumors. Evan Neal is reportedly falling down draft boards and some medical test info has been leaked today. Yeah, I'm still saying he goes fifth. He's that good. I don't know. Look, maybe he doesn't go fifth. Maybe, they, maybe he goes sixth to the Panthers. I don't know. But what I do know, if I am the New York football giants, then I'm taking Evan Neal because Evan Neal is the best offensive lineman available, and I got a quarterback that I have said that I am committing to in Daniel Jones They drafted Daniel Jones early, so in my warped world, the number one thing I want to do is protect Daniel Jones. The number two thing I want to do is make damn sure Daniel Jones has weapons. Now, that just makes sense to me. Like, it has never made sense to me that the Green Bay Packers haven't drafted a wide receiver in the first round for Aaron Rodgers. It just hasn't made sense to me. Maybe, But you know what? They've been good. They've been really good. So, hey, look, they're smarter than me. But if I have Daniel Jones and I want this to work, because let's be honest, Daniel Jones has been there long enough. Daniel Jones is still young. You believed in him to begin with. He's done enough if you protect him, and you got to protect him. So you got to take Evan Neal. Hey, look, anybody could make up anything. NFL rumors can say whatever they want. Every guy talking Giants, whatever they want. Uh, here's what Talking Giants says. The Panthers are out there trying to convince the Giants that they'll trade out of the sixth pick to the Eagles. Don't believe the smoke. Take Evan Neal. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Take and Look, I, I have a lot of friends in football. 
uh, NFL football, for whatever the reason. I don't even know. Because they like the show. Like, Vrabel watches this show. Uh, guys with Minnesota watch this show. Guys with the Browns, the Colts, they watch this show and they watch other shows. I, got, I don't even know why. I don't even know why. So what I'm telling you is basically what I am told by insiders in football. You can believe the smoke, and I will tell you, if Evan Neal does not go fifth, then maybe that smoke is true. The whole idea of, I don't know what to believe, I don't know what to believe, I don't know where to believe it. Hey, look, it, it's true. It, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, before we let this segment go, see, I got notes here today. I got to make sure I hit the notes. We got a monster for you. We do, man. I can't wait. The Dammy Awards are out. I'm proud of my friend, Sage Steele. See, I'm not bitter against ESPN, not even a little bit. The ESPN put my kids through school. ESPN plucked me from a Christian station. Uh, no, but I do think that we, we need to stop fronting. We need to stop garbage, and I'll get into that in a minute. Last night, Steph Curry lost me a lot of money, but he won the game. Steph Curry and the Warriors move along, people. Something to see here. They move along 102.98. I got to give props. I don't know how you guys feel about this. Maybe you don't think the same way that I do, but I got to give props real quick. I got to give props to the Nuggets. I mean, let's be honest. Man, the Nuggets, without Jamal Murray, I mean, Jamal Murray is not a good player. Jamal Murray is a great player. Jamal Murray is a great scorer, particularly in the playoffs. He's not afraid of the moment. And Jamal Murray, he was out, and look, they played the breaks off the Warriors. I really thought this. I thought the Warriors um, were going to score about 130 points last night. They got off to a decent start. They had 30 but uh, in the first quarter. But 102 to 98, they move on, and they put them to sleep. Steph Curry hit the shot that went like that, uh, put them to sleep. The Bulls game, we won you some money yesterday. Uh, we did. We, 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 we won you some money. That, that game... I don't know how the Bulls were going to play, even if they had all their players. No Ball, no no uh, Caruso, and then no Levine. He had no chance in that one. I mean, he had no shot. There was absolutely, positively, no shot in that game. Zero. So that game won us some money. So now, remember this, and I can get into this as much as you want, but the biggest thing for me is I want the Warriors to win the West, and I want the Sixers to win the East. Sixers are up 3-zip. Now, all of a sudden, it's 3-2, and there's articles about, is this going to be the first team to go 3-zip and blow the lead, get up 3-zip and blow the lead? I got to tell you, if you want to know about James Harden, on my outkick, uh, on my regular show the other day, on my, sh- my regular show, on my e- ESPN Indianapolis show, a man named Michael Grady, who's a great broadcaster, MG, MG came on and explained exactly why James Harden stinks. I mean, the description of James Harden was like that party boy little batch that you grew up with. Really talented, loved the lady, loved the style, but when it came down to hard stuff, that dude just wasn't going to be there. MG was awesome on my show. I'm going to go, I'm on the YouTube chat right now, and I got to see if you YouTube guys that listen to my afternoon show, um, you know. Uh, Dan, ESPN saved your life, got you a job. No, it didn't. No, a man named Kent Sterling did. Kent Sterling hired me after I was the interim head coach at Indiana. Kent Sterling is the one that saved my life. In fact, there's a plaque in my house to Kent Sterling. He hired me on the radio. 
I was so damn good. Next thing you know, a TV station call wanting to know if I wanted to do games. I was so damn good on that one. They hired me at ESPN. Next thing you know, my toes are tapping. Michael Grady gave the best description of that soft-ass James Harden. I have no respect for Harden. None. I want him to win because I bet him, but they stinks. They got no chance. None. Zero. Because if that dude's your leader and then Embiid's your leader, you got no chance. But I bet him anyway because I figure, eh, eh. They lose tonight. Ooh, baby, it'll be three to three. It's fun stuff. All right. Jason Allen Hammer came on this show. Comes out on Thursdays because I like I like the way that man thinks. <laughs> he comes on Thursdays and he knocks it out of the park. We're gonna talk to Jason Allen Hammer. All right, YouTube chat. If you could draft and all of you out there in the Twitter world, if you could draft one fictional character, maybe somebody from a cartoon, somebody from a movie, to play in the NFL. My initial thought was Mr. Blue Tarski. Then I realized Mr. Blue Tarski from Animal House, um, I don't know, seemed like he would be ineligible. Uh, Dan, you stink, but so do all of us. That's why we're here. Keep it up. Brian Smith says, I have no respect for Harden, and I've tried not to watch his games for years now. I agree. Do I stink? Tell you one thing about me. There's two things you're always going to get with me. You're going to get these eyebrows clipped, and I'm going to smell good. That's it. Eyebrows clipped, smell fine. All right, Jason Allen, hammer, hammer time next. Let's go. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. I'm sorry, but it's Thursday. It's 9.30. It's hammer time, baby. Hey, uh, Jason <laughs> Allen Hammer, at Jason Allen Hammer, great follow. And if you want to, 93.1, uh, go to Spotify, go to Apple, wherever the hell you get your stuff. Listen to them in the afternoon. It's a Hammer and Nigel show. Before I get into the topics du jour, all right, we're going to talk about Elon Musk. You were talking about it last week. It came to be true. But here's what I like about Elon Musk. The last two days, and we're going to try to do this every day, Hammer Time. The last two days, we've opened a show with a great Elon Musk tweet, including the one last <laughs> night that he wants to put the cocaine back in Coca-Cola. <laughs> yes, sir. What are your thoughts? Yes, sir. Listen, um, this is fun, right? This is what social media is supposed to be. But it hasn't been fun in so long. It's been a one-sided cesspool. And you know, Coach, I'm not one to pat myself on the back here, but your audience last week, your audience, I told you, keep an eye on the next 10 days. Because from what we were hearing, some stuff was going to go down with Elon Musk. There was chatter that he got the investors lined up, and he was going to make a serious move. 
We also heard that the folks at Twitter didn't really have an alternative here. And lo and behold, we're right. So not only do you bring the entertainment to the masses every single day, coach, you're bringing them information and hot damn if we didn't bring it to them first. Uh, let me go to Jeff Bezos. That dude melted down a little bit, did he not? And he's, it, 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 where do you see Bezos in this whole thing? Bezos, Bezos, whatever. He's coming off really petty right now, right? Because Jeff Bezos is not getting the headlines, and there's a little rivalry with him and Elon Musk. It's something that I'll never be able to understand, but it's a world's richest man contest. Okay, fine. Uh, but Bezos running all these hit pieces in the Washington Post, which he owns, by the way, about how Elon Musk is going to be problematic for Twitter, and he's having all of his minions at the Washington Post run all of these stories about how bad this is going to be and why this isn't really good for free speech and democracy. So if I'm understanding this correctly, that ball-headed lab villain that owns Amazon and the Washington Post feels like he's the only one that's allowed to be a billionaire that can control the media. See, this is where the pettiness comes in. And there's another thing, too. Maybe it's about the space situation, because Elon Musk and SpaceX, they're doing amazing things. Jeff Bezos' rocket looks like a big flying dong. <laughs> There's a movie Look like that. I can't like remember. Big flying I did. I know what you're saying. Uh, there was a movie that it, it, when I was in high school, it was like shown at midnight at places. And I, it wasn't Kentucky Fried Movie, I don't think. But I, I can still see the movie where that's what they flew in. Uh, it wasn't a, a, an adult feature, but it was close. And we used to all go to the Y&W in Maryville, Indiana, and, and I can't remember the daggone movie. Somebody will have it. Uh, somebody will have it well, Austin Powers for me. has it, too. You know, the world's... Dr. Evil flies in that. That's, That's right. That's the exact same device that Dr. <laughs> Evil flies in, the big shaft and the two salty nuts. Do you think um, the, the left totally melting down? Here's my theory, and I don't know if this theory is right, but if you are upset that something's going to change in Twitter to make free speech happen, common sense tells me that you know that things are happening right now in Twitter that are censoring certain types of free speech. D doesn't one follow the other here? Yes, and keep this in mind. Elon Musk has not said a single thing about what he wants to change yet. There are rumors, but he's not gone on the record and said, we're changing this. He's not said one single thing. But you've got meetings where Twitter employees are crying, real grown adult tears. They're crying. You've got folks on national media outlets talking about this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen. And the thing that blows my mind the most is that this clown on MSNBC who had the crazy suggestion that, well, if one man just owns a media outlet, maybe he could doctor something that happens in an election. Maybe he could suppress somebody and pick somebody up. Like, how tone deaf do you have to be? Because that's what folks on the conservative side have been saying for the last three to five years. I don't know about you, but I'm looking at it right now. I went, there was a time... And this goes back when I was at ESPN where my Twitter grew. And then I posted a few things over the last year 
where it, they were right-leaning, right? They were conservative leans. There was OutKick. There was Clay. Uh, there was you. There was Rob. Candle. Uh, there was just different things. Nothing egregious. Nothing insane. But all of a sudden, I went and uh, boom, I would watch kind of, you know, every week, Twitter went down. My Twitter numbers went down. My followers went down. My wife would say, hey, I'm following like Ice Cube and I, I don't get any hit. You know, um... All of a sudden, out of the blue, I'm up 500 followers in the last day. What's going on here, big boy? Well, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. I think a lot of people have decided to come back to Twitter because I've looked at a lot of the new follows that I've received, and a lot of them are people who have just signed up, either zero followers or very few signed up a couple days. I don't think they're bots because it looks like real people with real names from my city of Indianapolis, uh, things like that. But I think you're also seeing a loosening up of the reins here a little bit. Now, again, for those who don't follow this closely, let me make this as simple as I can for how Twitter does their business. For a long time, the Ayatollah could tweet, but Donald Trump could not. The Ayatollah was allowed to tweet up a storm, but satirical website The Babylon Bee was not allowed to. See, this is the kind of crap that a lot of people were fed up with. And this is why there's a little optimism for Elon Musk running this company. Uh, Biden not liking it, is he? No, and it took less than a week for the Biden administration to overreact on this. So we found out yesterday, they're starting this thing called the Disinformation Governance Board. Now, this is put together from the Department of Homeland Security and it is a real-life version of the Ministry of Truth from the Orwell novel, 1984. Now, I know those analogies are played out and everybody talks about it, but this is pretty spot on. This is like literally on the nose of what we're talking about here. So this government agency that the Biden administration has asked Homeland Security to put together is basically going to be on the lookout for what they call disinformation. Now, there's a couple avenues of conversation we can go down here, Coach. Number one, let's talk about the lunatic that they chose to run this, uh, Nina Jankowitz. Now, if you look up the history of this bat crap crazy woman, she's the same one that denied that the Hunter laptop story was real. It had to be a plant from Russia. This is the same woman who said that on Election Day of 2020, it's going to be an army of militia red Donald Trump folks showing up pointing their AK-47s at you, threatening you to vote a certain way. And this is also the same woman who used to be a, an advisor for the Ukraine government. So there's a lot of Russia in play here. She's clearly got an agenda politically. But keep in mind, yesterday was a pretty good day for United States and Russia relations. The United States not trying to get into this war. They're absolutely not. But yesterday you had... Uh, an exchange of prisoners of war. Um, they had a United States Marine that was locked up for getting into a fight. We had a locked up Russian drug dealer that we released. They met in Europe, we exchanged. I thought that was a pretty good sign of faith from a couple countries that don't like each other. So now you're going to insert this lunatic woman who's going to do nothing but ramp up the rhetoric on one side and ruin it. And if that's not enough, keep in mind, this is what Homeland Security is focusing on right now. Not what's happening at the border, not the insane amounts of fentanyl coming across the border or human trafficking 
which both of those stories are the most underreported stories in the media cycle. Nobody wants to talk about it, but we're sending out a brand new group to focus on disinformation. And I've said it once and I'll say it again. The same people who complain about government all the time, all of their answers are more government. When was the last time an additional government agency helped anybody with anything? Hey, uh, do you think, uh, again, maybe, maybe this isn't big enough. Maybe this disinformation group is, maybe it's not big enough. But is all of this stuff a distraction? Is it, is, it, is it geared towards distracting from what you're talking about, the border? You know, is that, is that by design? Absolutely 100%. Because if you're a Democrat running in the midterms, what are you hanging your hat on? You can't do the economy. You can't do national security. You can't do the supply chain. Um, you're talking about wage growth, but the wage isn't matching the inflation. So people are still getting pay cuts across this country. The only thing left they can do, the only bullet in the gun is to make it about social justice. Everybody on the right is a racist. Everybody on the right wants to storm the Capitol like January 6th. And everybody on the right spreads misinformation. Those are the things that you're going to see over and over again between the primary coming up and the big midterm election in November, because it's all that they have. The important things, and I think people are starting to realize this, the important things they've got nothing on. And even hardcore blue areas are starting to realize, you know what, maybe there's another option out there. Title 42, what's gonna happen here? So a federal judge has said, all right, we're gonna pump the brakes for a couple weeks while we look at this. This is the second time that a federal judge has kind of given the Biden administration the finger on something that they've been very passionate about. You go back a couple of weeks ago, you had that federal judge that told the Biden administration, yeah, that travel mask mandate thing, we're not going to do that. Not because it's a discussion about the efficacy of masks, but we don't believe that it's constitutional. And Title 42, you've now got a federal judge who says, we're going to put a two-week break on any sort of cancellation plans. We'll revisit it after that, and then we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, Title 42 will stay in place. And for those who don't know, that was a uh, prop that was put in during the pandemic that states if somebody crosses the border illegally, if they are an illegal alien, they test positive for COVID or whatever, they get sent back to their country. Now, is it being enforced? You can debate that or not but the policy will stay in place. And the reason this is important is because other countries now hear this, because we were anticipating an unbelievable, unbelievable push to the border around May 23rd, when Title 42 was scheduled to go away. People in other countries, they've got the internet, they've got television, they've got radio. These caravans know when the time is right to storm the border of the United States, and that was going to be the time. Right now, if you talk to border agents, they're taking in about seven to 8,000 folks a day. If Title 42 went away, you can put 10,000 more on top of that. You're talking about 18,000 people a day, and the United States just doesn't have the capabilities of handling those people at the border at this time. Uh, we didn't even talk about this. This is how good hammer time is. I just throw things at him, and he's just knocking them out of the park. It's like he's sitting there going, <laughs> yeah, bring it. Boom! 
right, so this is an actual headline. Now, I'm not the smartest guy, as anybody that's ever hung out with me understands, but I do pay attention. U.S. economic growth, this drives me nuts. This is from CNBC. U.S. economic growth rate unexpectedly declined in the first quarter by 1.4%. It wasn't. If you would have told me that it rose by 1.4%, I would have said, that's unexpected. I pay attention to what's going on here. This is the 70s, big boy. This is when you were just running around crapping yellow, and I was asking my dad, why do we got to wait in this big old line to get gas? Dad, why did gas go from like 30 cents to a buck 20? Dad, why don't we get McDonald's on Fridays anymore? This is the 70s. We've gone backwards, big boy. A 1.4% decline. Unexpected my backside. We knew this was coming. Are you surprised that an expert got something wrong? Like all these economic experts, I can't believe that there was a decline. If we've learned anything, anything at all, over the last two and a half years of this pandemic, it's that our experts don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. Whether it's experts on health, experts on the economy, experts on the government, experts on foreign relations. Remember when Joe Biden See, was hold on. Can I stop you? Can I, can I stop you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that they don't know. I think it's that they're dishonest. J- Jason, I think experts are now so much over here or over here that they maybe know, but they can't tell you the truth or else they'll be ostracized by their little Libby friends. Do you agree with that, disagree with that? I'm kind of on the middle because I'm having a hard time believing that Dr. Fauci really knew the best route to handle this virus. How many times was the guy wrong? He okay. loved to jump in front of TV cameras. I mean, hell, I mean, that dude was on television more than, you know, any TV host in America. You thought he had his own show as many interviews as he did, but he was wrong all the time. The Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, um, he was wrong all the time. And these were the people that we trusted to get us through. Because I'll be the first to admit, when the pandemic started, I didn't know anything about coronavirus. I'm relying on these guys. And they're coming out telling you, don't wear a mask. And then you need to wear a mask. And we found out later that that whole six feet of distance thing was just a complete made-up compromise kind of thing. We bought faith into these people. And I don't think that was a political stance. These are just people talking out of their ass because they wanted to keep their job and they didn't know what they were talking about. I, I guess I'm more talking about the economy. I, I guess, I guess I, I'm not talking about that. I totally agree with what you said about that. But I, I'm more talking about the economy here. I mean, China's growth was 4.5%. Our growth was minus 1.5%. I mean, I, I, I don't... And I, and I would bet my backside I'll turn on CNN or I'll turn on something... Uh, that is left-leaning, and they won't mention this in any kind of negative vein. I just, my bad. I don't know. No, you're right. And keep in mind, remember when the Biden administration was rolling out their Build Back Better plan, which was just a complete mess loaded with pork for their Democrat donor buddies. They kept talking about all of these economic experts, these Nobel Prize-winning laureates that have said that this is a fantastic deal. Where are all these laureates at right now? I haven't seen one interview from a laureate yet. <laughs> How do we not get the laureates involved? What are we doing? Right, I want to have laureate uh, I Monday. go back to some... <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I give you a laureate degree. I give you a uh, meritus and a laureate degree. You get two of them. You get them both, big boy. That's it. Official Thank today. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. I, uh, I also, I can't, I, before I move on to what uh, CNN Plus, I, I also got to say this. Was it Obama that said never underestimate the, the ability of Joe Biden to F things up? I think we're seeing Correct. it, and I think we're all getting crushed by it. We're getting crushed by it, Hammer. The thing is, it's not just Joe Biden. I think there are a collective group of people who are Joe Biden, but the thing is, they're dumb too. Like, look at Kamala Harris. Look at your vice president. Just when you thought there couldn't be a politician that has lower approval ratings than Joe Biden right now, you look at Kamala Harris, somehow she magically finds a way to pull it off. She has been unlikable from the beginning. And I'm not just saying that as somebody that's on the right. She failed to get out of the Democrat primary early. Democrat voters thought Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota was more likable and competent than Kamala Harris. Let that sink in for just a little bit. Kamala Harris, train wreck. You also came on here and said CNN Plus was a dumpster fire. Now, I'm full disclosure. Um, Stephanie Slovis was the first producer on our show, and she actually left to go work at CNN. They paid her well, and they're going to keep paying her. So I'm a little bit, you know, I, I like Stephanie a lot, and I hate that she's, but she's getting paid, and she told me she's all good. But I got to tell you, I, I never paid attention to Don Lemon or Brian Stelzer, whatever the hell his name is. I watched both of them for the first time over the last, I don't know, month and a half. Totally unlikable human beings. I, there's no way you can sit there and look at that round mound of rebound Stelzer and think that this guy knows anything about anything. I, I don't, I'm sure he's brilliant. I'm sure he is. But when you watch him, you go, what? So more of them that you have to pay for never made sense. And then Rex Chapman was totally unlikable, totally ridiculous, unprepared um, on the, during the NCAA tournament. There's no way this was going to say, hey, look, let's pay for more of these guys. Not a chance in holy hell. Right. CNN, if you look at them compared to the other major news networks, Fox and MSNBC, those dirt bags have been in third place for a long time now. And who's their star? Like, you can look over at MSNBC. You don't have to like her, but you can say Rachel Maddow is their star. She's the one that brings in the revenue. She's the one that brings in the ratings. You can look at Fox. Tucker Carlson is their star. He brings the ratings. He brings in the revenue. There's no star at CNN. And for this cycle of cable news, you need to have a star. Because what CNN does, and this has not worked, they've tried to trot out their straight-laced news people and make them opinion hosts. Right. Tucker Carlson's not a news guy. He's an opinion host. Same thing with Rachel Maddow. But they're trying to make Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper these flamethrowers. And that's not what they do. And the ratings have been atrocious. And if nobody's watching this crap for free, who in the hell thought I need to pay X amount of dollars per month to watch Jake Tapper's book club and extra programs from the thumb Brian Stelter? Uh, I got to tell you, not I. I mean, I'll pay extra for, um, oh, I don't know, uh, Sunday ticket. I'll give you some right. for that. 
Uh, there's a new show out. There, there's a there's a show on, I think it's Stars called Martha about Martha Mitchell. Uh, I want to watch that. So maybe I'll pay a little bit for that because I I love the whole Watergate stuff. When I was a kid, I was like 12 years old, 10 years old, and reading the paper on Watergate, and I knew Martha Mitchell and John. I'll pay for that. But I swear to God, I was stunned. Like, I'm not going to lie, Tucker Carlson's fine. Uh, Back in the day, I used to watch it all. But my God, and then that Anderson Cooper, you and I have talked about If you can't do a shot uh, and and bow up on national TV on New Year's Eve, I can't help you. That is like, get get off my, just just get the hell off my television. (laughs) Get, Get. All right. You came up with a great idea. This is why you are, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're, this, this show is built on solid foundation because of you. You came up with a great idea on, on draft day. In honor of draft day, what fictional football player would you draft? Who are you coming to the table with, big boy? All right, I've thought about this a lot. There's a lot of good fictional football players out there. A lot of people would say, Bobby Boucher, the water boy. But I'll tell you who I'm going. And I don't even think it's close with the number one pick. I'm coming at you with quarterback Stan Gable from Revenge of the Nerds, Adams College, every single time. Now, let me tell you why. If you watch the movie, Revenge of the Nerds, they're having the pep rally. And they announce Stan Gable as their two-time All-American quarterback. Two-time. Now, this is during the season. This is mid-season, which means the awards for that year have not been announced yet. And he's also, follow me here, running to become the president of the Greek Council for the following year, which means he's coming back for a senior year. So if you do the math here, two-time All-American quarterback coming back next year, awards haven't been announced. My man has been an All-American since he was a freshman, a freshman All-American quarterback And going all four years, you can't teach that kind of stuff. It's a quarterback-driven league. And Stan Gable, four-time All-American quarterback when it's all said and done, you can't pass that up. And I think Gable, I think he has hidden toughness, too. I I, I liked your pick until I went online and I looked. And, you know, back in my day in the 80s, the frat boys would either put their collars up, right, and walk around – or they had sweaters around their necks. You know, they would tie a sweater around their neck. And I hated them. Like right now, in this shirt, I am overdressed for, for how I walked around <laughs> Indiana University <laughs> as a stud. I, I didn't like it. Um, I, my first thought was this. Uh, Bluto Blutarski. I thought, you know what? He's got an element of toughness to him. He would keep the team together. Uh, but then I thought, well, I don't want to deal with this guy. I don't want to have to go and find him in jail. I don't want to have to go get him out of fights. And then, right. and then I thought to myself, yeah, it, it's a quarterback league. Um, and then I thought to myself, Paul Crew, Paul Crew, the quarterback, longest yard. I'll take either Sandler or Burt Reynolds, two very handsome men. I thought it's a quarterback league. Let's go that route. But then I settled. I went easy on you. I settled for Bobby Boucher. Why? Because I want to win. At the end of the day, look, the easy pick was John Elway. The easy pick was Peyton Manning. The, those are the easy picks. Guess what? They won championships. 
I'm trying to kick your backside. So I'm going with the best. Bobby Boucher, baby. I want him jumping over the line. And here's the other reason. I respect Bobby Boucher because he started down here. He was the water boy. I respect Bobby Boucher because he dressed like hell. I respect Bob. Get it. I like your guy, but he's too pretty for me. And if okay, he would so show up to practice. Joe Burrow goes to the Super Bowl dressing the exact same way as Stan Gable does. I get younger, I get better, and I'm telling you, I don't really like the competition that Bobby Boucher played in that conference. We know at least at Adams Conference, which was portrayed to be Arizona, at least my guy's playing in the Pac-12. I I think your guy has a, a toughness about him maybe that I'm underestimating. I think. I think there's leadership skills. Like when they lost to Lambda, Lambda, Lambda to lose rights to the Greek Council next year, who was it that rallied all the Alpha Betas together to go destroy their house? That was my guy. That was my franchise. That was Stan Gable. That's why I was going to take Blutarski. What was it? When When the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? (laughs) It's not over then and it's not over now. (laughs) <laughs> and then any guy all right uh dylan and and ryan what do you got all right guys this is ryan uh i'm picking uh forrest gump return specialist alabama i think he's not winning any academic awards or not super versatile but he ups your chances of a score on every kick very devin hester you like that hammer i think that's a luxury pick yes I, yeah, but I'll tell you this, uh, he's a sincere guy. We'll give him that. Who you got, Who you got, Dylan? I went a little different here. I'm going with, uh, he, he's an all-around, <laughs> an all-around talent. I'll go Air Bud, golden receiver. We're going picking dogs. <laughs> a threat, a threat all around the field. I think there's an injury risk. (laughs) Isn't there an injury risk with Air Bud? Because if I remember in the movie, and I don't remember if it was one or two, like there's an actual player who tackles the freaking dog and like injures him. So like I feel like that's an injury risk when you're trotting out there Air Bud. It's a very delicate choice. I'm relying on Tenderheart. I did not see either of those coming. Uh, you're relying in the wrong sport because we're badasses. Bobby Boucher will take that dog, break off a leg, and eat it as a chicken bone. <laughs> That's what Bobby Boucher does, boys. <sighs> hey, Hammer Time, thank you, my friend. That was great stuff. Appreciate you. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, we turn, and we'll be right back, but we turn from the beast to the beauty. We turn from Hammer Time to the uber-talented Allison Williams, when we come back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ah, it just continues here. I mean, is this not the greatest show in the history of the world? I think it is. Uh, World has had a lot of great shows, but this show might, I think it is. We 
We got Allison Williams live from New York City. A Doublelicious, what are you doing in New York? What This is part of your new show. Tell me what's going on here, por favor. Um, I am on my first work trip in over a year, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> awesome and exciting, and I'm super uh, grateful. I, I have to say there was like a time when I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to go to New York again, uh, but we are here. We're, we've got um, a, a shoot set up out in the Bronx with Jonathan Isaac, who uh, is a player for the Orlando Magic, known, I think, most for the, the stances he's taken, both standing in the NBA bubble during the national anthem, and then also speaking out on his decision not to get the COVID vaccine. Um, and he recently wrote a book called Why I Stand that is coming out in the middle of next month. Um, so we're going to do a sit down interview with him. He was one of my, my favorite guys to cover when he was at Florida state for the year that he was there. And, um, his story is pretty fascinating from the, the internal kind of struggles that he had to overcome and the past. All right. We're going to try to get, we're going to try to get Allison back, but Allison has a new show on a daily wire, uh, Ben Shapiro's site, and she's going to interview Jonathan Isaac and Jonathan Isaac, for those of you that don't know, did play one year at Florida State. He's with the Orlando Magic, and he stood. He 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 did not kneel for the anthem. Is Allison back? And you know what? Um, he's a really smart dude. And Allison told me off air. Look, he's a lot younger, but a lot wiser. You back, A Dubs? I think so. I'm I'm I've been warned that my internet connection is unstable, <laughs> like a lot of things are around here. Oh, okay. Boy. <laughs> hey, New York City, baby. Uh, when, when, when are you anticipating launching the show? I'm hoping that it'll come out. We'll start with his, and then we've got another interview set up for Saturday. And then I'm, I'm hoping, like, with post-production, probably a couple weeks here to a month. Um, obviously, it, it would be nice to kind of time it out with his book release and all that. Um, but we'll see. So that, that's up to the, the real masterminds behind all this, the real talent on the project, and that's the editors uh, that'll, that'll put it all together. But probably in about a month or so. All right, I got to ask you, you know, I, I, I don't know the answer to this. I should. Did you ever cover the NFL draft? No, nope. I covered the NBA draft actually the year Jonathan was um, drafted in 2017. But no, other than like I did one for the Dolphins for their like local coverage years ago, but I've never been like on site covering the draft or anything like that. When you look at the draft coverage, and I, I think this might be the hard – if, even on the local level where you don't know who they're picking, it's so uncertain. How difficult is that? Was that difficult covering a draft? It seems hard to me. It seems very difficult. Yeah, I think it's hard because you don't know if you're getting played, right? Like you don't know who's feeding you information just right. to get that information out there to then impact another team's decision and sway things a certain way. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of challenges covering the draft. And that's why I give a lot of credit to the people that do it, especially because um, just from like a content perspective, obviously there's a ton of guys and a ton of stories, but you talk about it for weeks leading up and you have to constantly get creative with how you present the different options and scenarios and information and analysis. Um, I think there's a challenge there as well because it is a singular event, but there's this massive buildup. So how do you get creative with presenting it in a way that seems new and fresh when there isn't a whole lot of development? Um, and whenever you're covering an event where like there's um, a strategy to be secretive, I think that presents challenges as well. So the, the reporters that are on the ground with the different teams, 
I give a ton of credit to because it's a testament to their relationships that they have and kind of their savviness as, as reporters, if you will, because um, it's a, it's an interesting deal, but it, what an exciting event, right? I mean, it's so much fun and it's become so glamorous too. It's crazy to think how it's become such a marquee event in the off season for the NFL. See, I feel like Vegas should do everything. Like, um, they should set the teams in the NCAA tournament. They should set the matchups. Uh, they should host the draft. I just think, I, I don't know why, but I just feel like, hey, look, let's just give in. You know, just take it to Vegas. They'll figure Vegas. it out. That's how I look. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody <laughs> loves going there. It's it's easy to do big events. It has all the infrastructure, infrastructure in place. There's great restaurants, good hotels, good options. Um, yeah. And I don't think anybody's like, oh, I have to go to Vegas again, right? Like everybody's happy to go. Usually decent weather. Um, give or take the desert, you never know. But um, yeah, I think it's I think I think it's been cool to have it there. I, I didn't mind when it like bounced around to different cities. I thought Nashville was tremendous. Remember a few years ago when they did it in Nashville? That was insane. That was a great site too. Yeah, I'm I I I'm a big I'm a big Nashville person. My daughter lives there, and every time we go, I gotta take two three days vacation because I'm just a mess after being in Nashville with a 26-year-old and her friends. It's just freaking insanity. Lee and I are like, Jesus, this town is nuts. So I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you on it. Hey, one thing A-dubs we do every day, or we're going to try to do every day, is have an Elon Musk fun tweet of the day, right? Oh, Elon Musk, fun tweet. He's bought Twitter. I don't know if he's, whatever he's going to do. People are freaking out. But he, you know, like today or last night, he says, yeah, next thing I'm going to buy Coca-Cola and put cocaine back in it. See, that to me is fun, right? I like that. No? <laughs> yes, I agree. I think he has, he has a very witty um, and like uh, punchy sense of humor, which I appreciate. I mean, just like the jabs he took at Elizabeth Warren a while back. I mean, he doesn't really hold back. Like, I feel like a lot of us put on a public filter with some of the things we say. And I guess when you're the richest man in the world, you can like burn the filter and just go with it. Um, so I, I actually, I fully support that idea. And I think you should also have like a, like a Elon Musk, um, uh, freak out tweet, like from somebody that is just acting like the world is burning because Elon Musk bought Twitter, because there's plenty of those to choose from as well that are wildly entertaining. Did you think, did you anticipate when you heard Musk was buying this? Did you, did you anticipate the crazy reaction of folks? No, I mean, I guess I should have, um, but no, like, because Elon Musk, I don't know. He isn't, um, from what I know of him, this like hardcore conservative Republican right-wing person, right? I mean, he's pretty liberal in a lot of ways and a lot of the stances he's taken. Um, but it, it's been very revealing to see the reaction. I mean, people who act like they're in support of free speech, but then they call anything that they don't like hate or disinformation. Um, <laughs> uh oh, uh oh, we'll try to get it. That's 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 exactly what I'm saying. Like, the guy isn't some whack out right-wing crazy person. He's just a rich dude. And as a rich dude, hey, you buy stuff. 
And as a rich dude, one of the things about being a rich dude that people explained to me was you got to be very careful what you say because your words impact wealth of a lot of people. Elon Musk all of a sudden says, hey, look, don't at me is the greatest show I've ever seen. We're going to buy it. We're going to do this. He affects wealth at a very, very, very high level. And himself, if he says the wrong thing, screwed. So the idea of a guy in his business, whether it's Warren Buffett, whether it's Bezos, whoever it is, that can just say whatever they want. Think about this. When they endorse something, through the roof. When they misspeak, things drop. Generation, generations of wealth get affected by that. They do. Millions, if not billions, get affected by that. So the deal is really simple. You got to be careful, but it is refreshing, is it not? I wish we were taking phone calls on this because it is so refreshing that Elon Musk actually has a personality in this. Let's take it to sports. You know one of the reasons that I love the NBA this year? We're seeing personalities of young guys and we're not hearing politics from LeBron James. It's literally that simple. Are we hearing LeBron James, well, you know, this whiny, woe is me, the world stinks, that kind of stuff. I'm tired of it. You're tired of it, aren't we? So now we got NBA playoffs and we got people that we like. Hey, I'll watch Steph Curry today, tomorrow, the next day. Steph Curry is a magician with the basketball, yes. Great shooter, yes. Small, looks like us, yes. But you know what else he does? Steph Curry has some fun. Look, I want this show to be fun. I want my life to be fun. All the people at ESPN used to hang out with me go, that's the most fun guy to work with. That's my number one thing. God dang, man. And when you look at Elon Musk, that's fun. When you looked at Jack Dorsey, it was like, ah, what is this? He seems mad at people. Don't be mad at people. Be happy with people. And that's the reason I think, I think you want to have fun. Steph Curry has fun. Seriously. So if I, oh, but you got a, a dubs. I was just pontificating. Uh, we lost you, but I was pontificating on this. Like, okay. we, we, in the world we live in, and you're a rich dude, really rich dude. There's two ways of looking at it. You can look at it like he can say whatever he wants. I had a really rich dude, owns like everything here, tell me one time, he goes, man, he goes, when you're at that level, you got to be careful because if you say the wrong thing, markets drop and you cost people billions. But Musk is smarter than that. And he just has seemingly made social media what it should be with a little bit of fun. No? <laughs> no, it's supposed to be this safe pillow um, lined room where nobody gets heard and <laughs> everything is politically correct. Yes, no, it, sh it should absolutely be fun. It should be a little bit offensive. There should be things that you don't like. You don't, you're not going to agree with everybody. You're not going to like everybody. Um, and sometimes those counter opinions are exactly what you need to hear. So um, stop acting like everybody who thinks like you is right and everybody doesn't think like you as a criminal that should be censored and um yes i think we need to get past this idea of like nobody should ever be offended or made to feel like the slightest bit uncomfortable with a tweet or a comment like learn to laugh learn to lighten up and um, i think a little bit of fun would do a whole lot of good for a lot of people 
Do, do you think do you think Musk will bring that to Twitter? Because he hasn't said what he's doing. He hasn't said he's going to be a crazy man. He's just said, "Hey, look, I'm buying Twitter." Do you think he'll? Uh, do you think him buying Twitter will impact people in a very dramatic way in terms of not being offended by everything? Um, I think it will impact people in a dramatic way as far as not being able to. Um, monitor and control information that makes them uncomfortable. So the thing that I'm fascinated to see how it plays out is if he like exposes the algorithms used to suppress certain people or amplify others. Um, you've seen a bunch of people on Twitter comment how there's, their followers have grown exponentially since he bought it. I don't know if that's entirely true, true or why, but like, what are they doing? I mean, are they, are they, so the thing I wonder is like, if you see how many followers somebody has, you're relying on Twitter for that accuracy, right? Like nobody's going through and counting their hundred thousand followers. Um, but are they artificially inflating that number for certain organizations or for people? I don't know. Are they deflating it for others? Um, are they boosting stuff up to the top of people's timelines intentionally to, to, um, disseminate a certain type of information. So I think that's what's going to be fascinating is not only the accounts that you can bring back and, and undoing some of the censorship we've seen, um, but exposing how these algorithms are working to promote different ideals and um, the support that they seem to have, which then creates a certain narrative around certain agendas. So um, if he could pull back the veil, like pull back the curtain a little bit to how those things work, I think that could dramatically impact um, things for people, especially when they realize like, hey, this isn't as popular as an opinion as people on Twitter want you to think. I mean, it's become the public town square. That's the whole thing. So if you're able to, to provide a microphone for certain people in that square and not others, that definitely controls how that information is received and disseminated. I'm going to assume, and, and I don't have a law degree, but I'm going to assume that um, Twitter in their algorithms, in if they did or didn't censor, or they did or did not shade or shadow block, whatever. I assume it was all legal what they did, right? I mean, is it possible that anything was illegal done here? I, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, I mean, again, I think that's for somebody way smarter than the two of us, but um, I would imagine it's legal yeah. because it's a private company. And, and that was what some of the, the employees were saying, like, yes, we provided or we uh, instituted these policies, but they were done legally and ethically and yada, yada. Um, again, my argument, and I think that's what I appreciate about Elon is like, he even studies like the, the, the restrictions on free speech are confined to the restrictions of the law. And if people want to change the restrictions of free speech, then they should change the law until they do. Twitter should adhere by those those guidelines, even if they are a private company, which has always been the, the argument, right? Like the free speech is for the government, not for a private company. So Twitter can do it at once. But again, Twitter has become the public space that the government and the constitution tried um, to protect. So I think he he's made that point. Like, look, there are limitations on free speech that are very limited based on the constitution. And those are the ones and policies we should adhere to, not necessarily um, what these companies and big tech deem appropriate speech. You know, I always thought Miami of, of Florida was just a football school where you just went. Apparently they taught people good. You know what I mean? They taught you good. <laughs> they taught you good. <laughs> hey, that private school education. I went, I went, I mean, you, you know, I, 
they just gave me a degree in Indiana. You, you not only did, you know, you were smart going in, you were smart there, you're smart after. And, you know, I sit here and I listen to you and I'm like, well, God dang, I'm dumb. I should have done something else. All right, let's get another smart take out of you. You ready? Sure. Should the government pay off everyone's student loans? Speaking of University of Miami, I wish they would have like 10 years ago, but now no. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do I think that our, our student loan system is completely uh, messed up? Yes. And I, I, I went through that when I got out of school and I saw the, uh, the totals of what I owed. And I even had a partial scholarship to Miami. Um, but it, again, it was a private school, so it was very expensive. And, and after four years, I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. Um, but I worked my tail off and I paid it off and it wasn't easy. And it, there was times when I'm like, God, if I didn't have this loan, like I could have bought a house by now. I mean, that's a down payment for a home. And how much does that change your financial positioning going forward? If you're able to buy a house at, you know, 30, or I think I, I was just under 30 when I paid off my loans. Um, so yes, is the system broken? Does it need to be less predatory? Yes. Um, when I learned about how my interest rates were structured and what was actually the terms of my loan versus what my parents and I thought we were signing up for, it was eye-opening and jarring and alarming. And I think it's wrong. And I, I do think they're, they're very, very predatory. But that being said, I don't think it's the responsibility of a nation to pay off loans that people did sign up for. Um, I think that is a bad precedent to set. I think that you sign up for those loans expecting to pay them off and you are responsible for those loans. Um, and I think debt forgiveness is being used as a kind of a, like a carrot, if you will, for, for voters, for a certain demographic, like, hey, we'll do this for you if you vote for us. And I don't even know if there's a true intention to actually follow through with it. But uh, I think it's been something that's been dangled out there to persuade a certain group. Um, and it, it sounds good in theory and is a system broken? Yes, but I don't think it's the right path forward for, for some of the issues that our country has right now when it comes to inflation and the economic kind of turmoil we're in right now to then take on the, the loans of, of college graduates is just um, probably not going to help our country in the long run. That's what I want to, I want to, what you just said at the end, you know, uh, look, there's a lot of factors that are involved in growing up. There's a, there's a ton of factors, and they're all not good. You know, I mean, even the Bible tells you, you know, basically let the hard times increase your faith, that kind of stuff. Do, do you think we do, or, or do you think we're heading in a direction in this country where we're trying to make everything too easy on people too young? And do you think that's healthy? I... I think there is um, a lack of accountability that we are are instituting. So, yes, to a certain extent, it's you know, do we want to make things easier? I don't. I, I go back and forth on this too because then you see so many people struggling, right? And and people speaking out about the the stress and the anxiety that they feel and the depression and so forth. Um, so I wonder, like, is this world we've created? too toxic and, and too much for a lot of people. And, and you certainly don't want that to be the case. You don't want people to feel like there aren't resources and support for them. Um, but I do think we have to get back to a sense of responsibility for our situations, for, um, for our lives. I think there's too much deflecting right now and too much blaming if you're, you're 
overweight or if you're um, unhappy or if you're struggling in different parts, there's this tendency to like blame somebody else. Like it's always somebody else's fault that your life is the way it is. And that's very disempowering. And how do you ever change your, your situation and your life if you're constantly blaming other people or wanting them to take responsibility for it or deflecting the blame? Um, so I think that's, that's become problematic, right? Like I think we have to stop externalizing every issue we have with our lives and start internalizing. And we have to get rid of this like victim mentality um, and take ownership for our lives and our situations and our own happiness and our own successes and failures. I mean, if that means redefining success for you, then maybe you need to, to take the time to do that. But I feel like so much of our, our emphasis right now with young people is external and what the world around them is doing to them and it's not internal. And I think that's where this disconnect is. Um, and I think that's something that I kind of have had to walk through in the last year with, with everything I've gone through. I, I, I sourced my happiness now. I, I found joy in um, a lot of external things and I had to stop because those things were taken away essentially. And I had to find joy internally and I had to redefine success for myself and happiness. And um, when I did that, I realized that I was in much more control of my life and my destiny and my um, my internal peace, if you will, than I ever was before. So um, that's a really long way to answer your question, and I'm not sure if I even did. <laughs> that's my diatribe. For well, today. Would, would you would you say you're happier looking back? I would say I am. I'm at peace. Like I don't feel. Um, I was always happy. Like I've never been somebody that I've always tried to focus on the positive. And I, I found so much joy in, in what I did and, and professionally and, and so forth. Um, but I feel like I was missing some things that I didn't even know I was missing. And I find now I can find joy in really simple things and moments. And I feel like I'm more present. Um, I feel like I am able to be more kind of more just, I don't even know how to describe it, just more at peace with, um, with what I'm doing and, and, and finding that like I can spend an entire day doing nothing but hanging out with Lyle and it's like the most beautiful thing ever. And that I, I don't take that for granted, you know, like I, I appreciate it and I enjoy it and I know it has importance and an impact. And I found other things that I'm interested in. Like, I mean, it sounds so silly, but like just reconnecting with nature, starting a garden. I got chickens. Like, like we have gotten so far from like the little things that we um, used to be required to do to live that, that now it's just this consumerism culture and everything's about making money and a bigger house and a bigger car and a faster this and that. And I just kind of was like, no, like I don't need any of that stuff. That doesn't, I've never been somebody that's been super into material things. And, and um, I was like, why am I chasing this? Like, what, what is that ultimately doing for me? Um, and so now I'm able to, I feel like, just be a little more present and a little more connected with kind of the roots of, of things instead of the, like, the superficial level of things, if that makes sense. Yeah, I want to go back to something. You have chickens? I do. Um, okay, so I wanted chickens forever. I think they're awesome. And my friend had an old chicken coop at her place. And when I lost my job, she was like, Allison, if you want to redo it, um, and get chickens, you can keep them here. And so my husband and I fixed up the coop and we have six chickens. And if those bitches don't start laying eggs soon, they're going to be chicken tacos is all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> ah! 
Hey, Lee! Lee, Allison's got chickens! Lee's dying to get chickens. Lee's, we have a yard that's this big, right? We don't, she, do she's, she's like, I want do chickens. I like, I want goats. I'm not getting chickens. I don't, my, there's, my, my neighbor lives on a lake. Well, we live on a lake and my neighbor has ducks. She raises ducks. They have a duck pen and the big hawk came in and was choking one of the ducks one day. I don't need that, I don't need that aggravate. Lee, Lee, hey, Dub's got chickens. Oh, she just I'm yelled down. There's... Are we getting chickens? Do it. She's nodding her head. Do it. Are we getting chickens? Lee, uh, uh, A Dub's like, you got to get chickens. I want chickens. They're she so wants cool. chickens. And they're easy. They're easy to take care <sighs> of. They poop everywhere. That's annoying. But they, they're easy to take care of. Um, I will just warn you if you get them too young, they take a really long time to lay eggs. I have had mine since February, and I still have not gotten a freaking egg. Chicken tacos. <laughs> Chicken kebabs. All right, souffle. There's a lot. Hey. Hey. Tastes like chicken. Could be real. Would be real. Hey, whatever happened to those chickens? Uh, you're eating them. They're. <laughs> like, I will be like, I thought there was uh, six, mommy. Why is there only five and four? It's called subtraction. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I ran away. Eat your eat your chicken soup. Eat your, you know. uh, you're the best. Hey, have a great time interviewing Jonathan Isaacs, and you know we we love I love talking to you. It's the highlight of the week, and we're getting chickens. Deal. I love you. Lee, let's get some chickens. Get some chickens, Lee. Do See it. Ya, hey, um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's how that would go. We'll be back. Hey, Dubs. Awesome. Here's when your show comes out, we're going to pub the living you-know-what out of it because that's what we need to do. We need to pub it. A uh, couple of things we have coming up. The damn awards. Don't at me. Do not at me, people. I got the damn awards coming up. I ain't getting chickens. I'm telling you, my next-door neighbor uh, put together a, a duck cage. And we had this crazy hawk that actually hit me three times. It's hit everybody in our neighborhood. Hawk was nuts. It's, it's gone now. We don't know what happened. But anyway, so this hawk would hit you. Like you're walking in your neighborhood. I got pictures. I'm bleeding. I had to go to, it hit me three times. It hit Lee, hit my, my daughter, uh, everybody. So my next door neighbor has ducks and they put them in this pen. And on their, they have a security camera on the ducks and around their house. And one day, all of a sudden, they left the top open or something. And one of them looked into the, the ring or whatever you call it, and there was a hawk that had, the two, had two ducks choking them. Dude runs out there, gets them away. One of them died. I don't need that aggravation in my life. I don't need to worry about chickens. Let me get chickens on. If they ain't laying eggs, I got what, what, What's the point? Serious business. It, it, I mean, the point of having chickens is to have eggs. Or I guess to tell people you got chickens. I don't know. All right, we'll be right back. The Damn Awards. This week's Damn Awards next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. 
Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. All right, so now it becomes a debate on the YouTube chat. Uh, Sean Black, the president of the YouTube chat, says, Dan, trust, or excuse me, Dan, if you get tick, uh, chickens, you know LLRD. We call my wife the lovely Lee Ross Dockage, LLRD. will be the one taking care of them. Yes, I know. And she knows. And she still wants them, which is very, very, very odd to me that she would still want them knowing that I, well, I can't even take care of myself. Uh, Brad Buffington says, Dan, trust me, as one who knows, you do not want chickens especially with the bird flu around right now. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. Yes, we have a winner right there. Hey, Lee, bird flu. Nah, nope, 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 nope. Can't do it with bird flu. Cannot. No, bird flu is dangerous. You know, I always thought you don't want hoof and mouth disease. You don't want anything, any kind of disease that has to do with an animal. Uh, You don't. You don't want any disease where they're like, well, you know. Uh, this animal caused this disease. That's Corona, right? No, no, nope, 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 nope. All right, let's get to it. The damn awards. Don't at me awards. First, foremost, my friend, the lovely, the uber talented Sage Steele. See, she is suing ESPN. She's suing ESPN, and ESPN is right here on my television right now, and she will be on this television. Well, I think I'll turn it off and go downtown. However, if I were to sit here and watch SportsCenter, Sage Steele will be on my television today, a day, 12 hours, 14 hours, whatever it is, after announcing a lawsuit against Disney and ESPN. Here's the crux of the lawsuit. There's there's a lot more here than's being reported. And I'm not telling you that Sage has told me anything uh, that is other than what you've read. But this I do know. Sage Steele, in the lawsuit, Sage alleges that she was retaliated against over comments she made about the company's vaccine mandate on Jay Cutler's podcast last September, violating both her contract and her right to speak freely. Um, Sage will remain on air. Her contract is not up for a while. What Sage said was, I work for a company that mandates the vaccine. And I had until September 30th to get it done or I am out. I respect everyone's decision. I really do. But the mandate is sick and scary to me in many ways. I just, I'm not surprised it got to this point, especially with Disney. I mean, a global company like that. So, uh, Sage was benched by ESPN. Now, ESPN's saying she wasn't, but we all know she was. And whether you call it a formal suspension or not, I don't know what you call it. But the ESPN would do things like this. If they got mad, well, we're going to take you off this game. Well, you know what? They got mad at me for something. Well, we're not going to do the podcast this week. Okay. Uh. She was benched by ESPN, she's saying in her lawsuit, and the company forced her to apologize. The lawsuit also also alleges, in a knee-jerk reaction, uh, ESPN 
and Disney relied on the misleading characterizations of her comments, bowed to groupthink, and forced Steele to publicly apologize and suspended her for a period of time October 21st. Well, here's what they do. Like, when they get something that they don't like, like, I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I simply on Twitter responded to somebody. I didn't read their bio. I just responded, and I used to use the term little fella. Hey, little fella, uh, you know, you should, instead of being mad on Twitter, you should donate to my organization. Here's the link. All right. That's about it. Uh, Quit being a little fella. Well, it turned out it was a little fella. It turned out it was like a 12-year-old or 10-year-old kid. But it was clear that the 12-year-old or 10-year-old kid that came at me initially didn't write it. It was written like a father. Why does Dockage always have to have his charitable works publicized? All right, long story short, so this daddy, you know, lost his mind, right? His daddy called my office or my workplace. Daddy called ESPN, right? All right, and then the daddy tried to make a big deal about it. Well, you know, I'm just a little kid. You insulted me. Okay, so I came on the air and I said, hey, look, what do you want me to tell you? I thought it was, thought it was the dad. I don't read everyone's bio. Well, ESPN, HR department called me. I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I go, what are you talking about? Well, you know, so when I was, when they called me about coming back to ESPN after my contract was up, they said, well, you know, you insulted a 10-year-old. I'm like, no, I didn't. What they had done was they had responded to the group think of this parent that got picked up by Dan Wolken at ESPN, and next thing you know, I had done something to a 10-year-old. Get out of here with that crap. And they didn't want to hear it, so I know exactly what Sage is doing here. The people that are above the person that is above you get into, well, we got to cover our backside. So she's exactly right. Now, I don't know whether she gets this lawsuit settled or not. I don't know whether she, you know, whatever, but she's exactly right. This is exactly what happened to me with ESPN. When, in my last conversation with a guy named Michael Schiffman, who's like the boss of the boss, well, you insulted it. I said, no, I didn't. I said, you want the tape of my show where I'm talking to a father? But, of course, they don't want to hear that. And I, told you, I said, look, you do whatever you want, but, you know, I'm not going to allow you to treat me or paint me as a bad person, particularly with kids. I've done more for kids than anybody in this state damn near. So anyway, uh, she's exactly right. And when I tell you she's exactly right, I'm not telling you it's a friend. When I read this, I go, hey, there you go. Uh, the suit further alleges that ESPN disciplined Sage Steele based on inaccurate third-party per- accounts of Steele's comments and that the network did not immediately review the actual comments or the context in which they were made. That is awesome. That is fantastic. That is 100% right. That, my friends, is could not be more right. I guarantee you that this is 100% right, 1,000% right. I mean, I would bet you this is right today, tomorrow, the next day. Honest to God. Honest to God. This is exactly how, how uh, 
exactly how they do it at ESPN. I mean, exactly. I mean, could not have been more like this. They will take a third-party account, and away you go. Honest to God. It's, it's the damnedest thing. It is the damnedest thing. I read this, and I go, this couldn't be more true. Well, you did that. No, did you actually see? Did you take the time? You know what I mean? I mean, uh, it is absolutely the ESPN way. It's funny. I'm actually texting a guy right now. This has me a little bit hot, and when I get hot, I got to, you know. Oh, it's unbelievable. Anyway, so Sage Steele, I don't know if she's going to win. I don't know. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, I I don't, you know, do I hope she wins? Yeah, because she's right. She ain't wrong here. She, uh, while, while Steele would have been off air for a given point of time after testing positive for COVID, the suit says the company used the word sideline, taking a break to describe her on-air absence and refers to these words as euphemisms for suspensions. The suit points to various stories in the press that referred to Steele as being suspended. Uh, ESPN did nothing to rebuke the widespread reports that it had suspended or otherwise disciplined Steele for her comments, both because those reports were true and because ESPN stood to benefit from the public perception that it had punished Steele. She was removed from assignments, New York Marathon, and the ESPN Women's Summit, ESPNW Women's Summit. Let me tell you about that. She started that whole thing, and two people at ESPN that are awful, awful, L. Duncan and that guy Mike... uh, Michael Eaves, horrible. They, they are the ones that said Sage Steele wasn't, quote, black enough. I love that she is standing up. I do. I love it. I think it's freaking great. I don't think it's kind of great. I think it's freaking great. Because somebody somewhere somehow needs to stand up. Because that's what they do. They didn't read all their comments. And it didn't matter. Because it showed... Well, let me back up. She is a conservative, at least to the people in the media. So being a conservative made it very easy for them to go and discipline. Did they discipline Jalen Rose for lying on TV? Have they disciplined any of these guys that they trot out there that tell lies on ESPN? Any of them? Any? They're the guys that said that unarmed man got shot. No, the guy was armed. These people that get disciplined at ESPN are always the folks that are not left-leaning crazy people. Liars. Divisive. It's always that way. Did they do one thing? Has Jalen Rose been off one time? Any of these guys that have come. Read Bobby Burak. None of these peoples that have lied on ESPN, none of them have ever been disciplined except Sage Steele. Sage Steele gets disciplined not because she did anything wrong, not because she was overly critical of the company. She got disciplined because it was easy 
to discipline a right or conservative-leaning person, period. Period. And she, well, let me also add to that. And because Sage Steele could easily have been bullied by a media, she's an African-American woman, all right? You can't bully an African-American woman in this day and age, but you can if the, you remember I talked about test balloons? ESPN companies like that, they put up a test balloon. Sage Steele showed that she would be criticized and you could get away with it by the mainstream media for her views. That's the test balloon. Sage Steele then became a target and she got suspended. And any of these guys that stands up there and tells you she wasn't are totally full of crap. This lawsuit, after reading it, is 1,000% the way business is done there. And don't at me about it. Don't even think about adding me about it. I mean, that's the easiest thing in the world to see as I read this. I'll never forget, I'm playing tennis with my wife. Phone rings, it's a Friday, 5.30. Hey, this is Joey Bag of Donuts. I'm from the HR department at ESPN. I go, yeah, what do you want? Well, it's come to our attention that there's an issue with whatever the kid's name was and his father. I go, oh, yeah, what did, but what, what did I do? Well, apparently the father has reached out to us and is all upset that you insulted his son. I didn't insult any kid. I've never insulted any kid. What are you talking about? And then he went through it and I go, look, read the initial text, read the initial tweet. If that's written by a 10 year old, I'll kiss your backside. Well, it shows right here on his bio. I didn't read a bio. I was reading mentions and I was responding, trying to get people to donate to my bikes program. Nobody bought it because it was brought up this past year. Full of crap. Look, test balloon. When I did a game at ESPN, all of the fan bases either loved me or hated me. But the hate became more because it's Twitter. The test balloon on me was easy, man. Easy. Dockage you can criticize and no one's coming to his defense. All right. This lawsuit whether she wins it or not, is 1,000% the way ESPN does their business. I know I'm going long on this, but I don't care. Um, I like this. The damn award for, I don't even know what the hell this is. I want you to think about something. Kyler Murray's been a little, I don't know, kind of a little batch I'm mad at the Cardinals, so I'm going to take all my social media down. Okay. All right. That's a bad... I'm mad at the Cardinals because I'm being blamed for our loss. You're a quarterback. I'm mad. Woe is me. Here's the end game right now. Now, I'm... I'm understanding a long-term contract is what you want. But some organizations actually do it right. Some organizations, like the Colts actually under Ryan Grigson, they did not extend Andrew Luck's contract till his fifth-year option deal, till the option came up. That's right. 
Now the Colts give everybody every dime they want, and they can't win anything. But when Grigson was there, it was kind of an earned deal. We're going to do it, but we got a contract. Let's go. So the end game here with Kyler Murray was interesting. The end game here with Kyler Murray ends up with Kyler Murray option being picked up for $29 million. Woe is Kyler. $29 million is the end result here. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, you know, Dan, multiply that by five if he gets a new deal. And I'm with you on it. I'm 100% with you on it. I understand it. I do. I totally understand it. But the truth of the matter is, uh, it ain't a bad second option. I have a hard time with certain things, and I have a hard time with guys bitching, whining, moaning. And um, in bitching, whining, moaning, they end up with $29 million as a consolation prize, meaning the bitching, whining, moaning didn't work, but they still ended up with $29 million. What a country. It's like my other problem is guys like Kyrie Irving, and not, not Kevin Durant, just Kyrie Irving say, well, basically he's in charge of the franchise. Maybe he is, but he wouldn't be in charge of my franchise if I was a billion-dollar owner. I'm not letting some guy uh, run my franchise other than this guy because I made billions the owner of the Nets. I ain't letting some guy that can play basketball – and thinks the earth is flat, run my franchise. These are the things I have problems with. So Kyler Murray, I'm not sure who I'm giving the award to, but Kyler Murray, it feels like all this whining that he's done, and he's still got $29 million out of it from the same employer, I don't know. That seems like that deserves an award. Uh, I love the fact, going back to Sage Steele, I love the fact that Sage Steele is out there getting a lawsuit, and she will be right on the TV today. I love it. I don't like it. I love it. I wish I had a plaque I could send them that would have any meaning. It doesn't. All right. I've long said this. I've long said the people that attack you on Twitter are the whiningest, most ridiculous folks when they get attacked. Again, you know I have a story for everything. I had all these little professors these little professors, uh, 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 a guy named Nathan Lamb and Joanna Mellis, they were very free to call me a racist when I said players should be paid. Somehow that became racist. Joanna Mellis and Nathan Lamb, they came at me free. I said, hey, quit bitching. Oh my God, he violated me. That's exactly what this Joanna Mellis did. I said on my radio show without even mentioning her name. I said, hey, I'm, you know, she wanted to go at it in a pool. I said, I ain't going at it with nobody in a pool ever. Oh, he violated me. Okay. And then they whined and it was a big deal and it became national all because I came back at them. I said the word bitching to two guys and a girl. Oh my God. I said, I'm not going in a pool. Oh, my God. People that are the worst. 
that come at you, all right, the ones that come at you are the worst when you cut back at them. The old classic bully and Taylor Lorenz, <laughs> the libs of TikTok are mad at me. This is a woman that has ruined lives, Taylor Lorenz. This is a woman that has gone and knocked on people's doors to try to expose them. All right? This is a woman that is not afraid ever to just rip somebody on social media with the thought of, quote, destroying them. She's the internet culture columnist for the Washington Post. She went out because the libs of TikTok were just making a fool of her, which is easy to do. She then went on this crying, these mean to me. This woman has ruined lives. But again, when somebody comes back at you, oh my God. This woman, not only, they accused me, these professors, of doxing. I didn't mention anybody's name other than to say that a guy who thinks he knows college athletes has one hour a day, one, uh, one, I'm sorry, one hour a week of office hours, just like all of our professors, didn't say anything, just like I'm not saying anything now. This woman decided the lives of TikTok's name, occupation, the country she lived in, her religion needed to be exposed. Because they were mean. It's incredible. It is incredible. She whines, bitches, moans every time somebody comes at her. In fact, there is an absolutely gloriously ridiculous video that she made of They're being mean to me. Yeah? Tough. Tough. I mean, the world is not an easy place. Now she wants her Twitter page to be excluded from the Wayback Machine. Yeah, I don't know. Basically, she doesn't want anybody going back and looking at her tweets to show how full of crap she is. This is not surprising. This doesn't shock anybody. This is who these folks are. You ever, you ever go at a media guy? You, you want to you have some fun? Go at a media guy and watch how they whine. Like when people came at me, I just came back with stuff. I like the interaction. Media guy is so insecure, and this is this, this young lady, or uh, this journalist, excuse me, Taylor Lorenz. I wouldn't have been able to pick Taylor Lorenz out of a lineup until she was on there crying about how mean people, crying, tears. And this is a woman that ruins people's lives and likes doing it, has reveled in it. And swear to God, she looks exactly like what you'd think, just a rich little entitled kid. I love it. I don't like it. I love it. Expose them all. You want to have fun? Rip a, rip a media person at the level of local journalist. Local journal, national guys, we get ripped all the time. Eh, what are you going to do? You want to have some fun? Rip a local journalist and watch him whine. It's the best. Watch how defensive they get. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. It's the craziest draft we've seen in years. Yeah, pull this. It plays jingle bells. 
It's always the craziest draft. What are you going to do? I told you. Let me give you my mock before we leave. Trayvon Walker, defensive end number one. Hey, I don't know if he should go number one. All I know is Vegas made him minus 450, and Vegas knows. Aiden Hutchinson, number two, defensive end to the Detroit Lions. He ain't going there because he's from there. Hey, Dad, let's go see Aiden Hutchinson. All right, I get that. But you're not picking a guy because he played 45 minutes away. No, you're picking a guy because he's the best pick for your team. You got Jared Goff at quarterback. You better be able to play some defense. Ecom, Ecom, uh, no, no, yeah. He's third from North Carolina State. He should be going third because he's a nasty man. He's going to hit you. He's going to hit you again. I love it. I love it. Yeah. He's going to Houston. They got bad quarterback, too. You better protect him. If you're not going to protect Willis Davis or Davis Mills or Miles, I don't know, Davis Mills, you got a problem. Ahmad Sauce Gardner, he's still talking. I opened up Twitter today. That guy's still talking. Be careful what you wish for, New York. A chatty rookie corner has a tendency to get whooped, which makes him less confident. We shall see. But I got him number four going to the Jets. And then number five, Evan Neal. Oh, he's dropping. Evan Neal's dropping. Yeah, stop. Evan Neal's going to the Giants because the Giants had better, they had better figure out how to protect Daniel Jones if you want Daniel Jones any good. It's been a great week. Hey, Dylan, Ryan, Davey, everybody, thank you all so much. So all my guys, gals, over on the YouTube chat. Thanks for being here every day. All of you. My brother-in-law was in a restaurant yesterday in Toledo having breakfast. He said, man, that voice sounds familiar. He looks over. There's a guy watching our show in a diner in Toledo. Thank you, that guy. I don't know your name, but thank you. As always, we'll be back here Monday, 9 o'clock. Tell your friends. Tweet it out. Let's make this thing bigger. Dockage out.